Hello and welcome to Farmland. Later on today's programme, I'll be discussing the impact of recent world events and financial pressures on farm families with Chair of the Irish Farmers Association, Farm Family and Social Affairs Committee, Alice Doyle. But first, I'm joined in studio by the Executive Director of the Farm Tractor and Machinery Trade Association, Michael Farrelly, and Agriland journalist Richard Halloran to discuss how the machinery world is weathering global and economic events and what is the best way to prevent a pressure point at the back end of the year in terms of feeding livestock. Michael, thank you for joining us. I'll first go to you. Um, in terms of the machinery trade at the moment, obviously the whole world is experiencing inflation, uh, pressures on finances at the minute. How would you see the machinery trade going at the moment? Well, it's, you know, uh, a story with two sides to it. Um, you know, on one side, uh, this year, all the manufacturers have full, uh, all their, their books are full with orders um, and sales are performing very well on, on all, all elements of the machinery trade at the moment. Then on the other side, especially since the outbreak of war in Ukraine, um, you have a big problem with the rise in uh, fuel costs. Because if you think about machinery manufacturing, fuel is used everywhere. So if you think of a machine and there's rubber on the tires, the cost of uh, the process of vulcanization for tires, that uses huge, huge amounts of energy. Um, in a factory, you know, you're transporting in your raw material, you're transporting out your completed goods. That's all fuel for the transport. In the factory itself, you're using ovens to bake paint, you know, in the production of um, all the, the components that go into it, like steel, that's obviously very heavy uh, energy dependent. So at the moment, like there are astronomical rises in fuel costs. And so the manufacturers are trying to deal with those, you know, um, because, um, you know, the, the, the impact of that on uh, uh, all across the board. You know, sometimes traditionally you might have a rise in the price of rubber or the price of steel or the price of, you know, a single component. The problem now is that uh, energy is causing everything to rise. So that's a concern going forward, you know. And do you think that that will be reflected then in prices for machinery? Yeah, like, you know, it's very hard to predict what's going to what's going to happen there. Like, you know, the manufacturers are trying to control what's going on. You know, a lot of them would have forward bought years in advance their steel supplies and, and, and their other supplies, you know. But there's no doubt that it will uh, result in, in price increases going forward, you know. Um, but on the other side of it, I suppose, because demand has been so strong for the last year, um, and through COVID with problems with, um, you know, supply chains and all of that, what, what happened was, especially for this year, is that um, all the manufacturers said, look, because of this, we need to really uh, schedule our production uh, very carefully. And so they said to the dealers, you know, you have to put in your orders for machinery. So there would have been a lot of orders, I'd say more orders put in for machinery than ever before. So, you know, there are lots of uh, orders there with, you know, that are both in, your, in, in dealers' yards and that are coming through and being scheduled through. So supply, you know, that won't really be an issue this year. But certainly long term, if, and if, uh, if the uh, energy price, prices remain so high, 
you know, it's hard to predict what's going to happen there. You mentioned, I suppose, coming from manufacturers, the supply end of things. Yeah. But you also mentioned that orders are, are substantial this year. Yeah. So has the effect of increased input um, prices and so on not trickled down, I suppose, to, to those big capital buys yet where farmers have maybe held off on buying a new machine or a new tractor? No, well, I, I, like, you know, I think, like, we all saw, and we saw through the COVID situation, you know, f farmers and the farming industry, it's very resilient. You know, they're used to peaks and troughs and disaster and, you know, whatever it is, COVID or it's foot and mouth disease or it's weather or it's whatever, you know, so they don't really change their plans. You know, and then in terms of what's going on at the moment, you know, like, obviously, input prices have risen, you know, there's been huge rises in fertilizer prices and of that. But at the same time, you've had huge rise, uh, price rise in terms of, uh, you know, in the dairy sector, the price being paid for milk at the moment. You know, and the increase in milk price has probably compensated for the, the increase in uh, input prices. So I don't think you're going to see the dairy farmer pulling back in terms of what they're going to do. You know, the, from a machinery perspective, it's really the agricultural contractor, you know, that would be the big buyer of the machinery. And they're buying the machinery to serve the, the customers. And a lot of that is, uh, you know, including the, the, the dairy industry. So that just keeps going because it's done on a cycle and renew and refresh your machinery, you know, and uh, adapting to new technology, I suppose, which helps with efficiency and helps with uh, all, all that side of things as well. The ag contractors that you mentioned there, they're coming into their season now very, very shortly. Um, yeah. If some haven't even already, uh, they will be in the next few weeks doing the first cut of silage. Yeah. So in terms of any of them that have to renew machinery or is, is there ways that this year that they could save money on that with different types of equipment or um, different technologies? Yeah, well, you know, the big challenge for the contractors this year is going to be um, diesel prices, obviously. You know, and um, that that's a big side. But certainly, like in terms of, um, in terms of saving money, or providing a service to farmers that's better value, you know, or helps the farmer reduce their input costs. There's lots of things that um, contractors can do there. You know, like so. There's lots of new uh, technology and equipment out there. Some of it that's funded through the TAMS grants. So you have. Um, like your fertilizer spreaders with section control and uh, you know that can control the rate really accurately control the rate of uh, fertilizer application you know uh, guidance systems which make sure that you uh, you know whatever operation you're doing in a field you're doing it in the most efficient way possible with zero overlap and there's obviously knock on save savings there on on fuel costs and stuff like that you know low emission slurry spreading you know, the technology now, uh, you know, we can talk about like dribble bars and, um, you know, and that kind of technology, um, but also where it can measure the nutrients in real time that's coming out of the, the quality of the slurry. So you can now, instead of going to a spreading so many thousand gallons per acre, you're going to spreading, you know, so many units of nitrogen or so many units of phosphorus per hectare. You know, and that that can be completely controlled by the tractor and the, the slurry tanker, you know, so certainly that kind of machinery 
can either save the contractor money with the guidance and making sure you're not overlapping, or for the farmer by helping them maximise and understand what their inputs are going in. There are other things as well, like technology on harvesters, both on uh, you know, forage harvesters and on wagons and on balers now, where they can actually measure the quality of the silage as it's being made. So that then allows the farmers plan forward and understand, you know, directly after the crop is made, understand what's the quality of that and then plan their further budget, you know, what do we need, what do we need to supplement that uh, going farther forward, whether you're a beef farmer or a dairy farmer, you know. That's interesting there about the fodder and I know it's something that you have touched on yourself in opinion pieces, uh, Richard, particularly as we hit into the silage season where you were discussing the potential problem that could arise in the back end when there isn't enough silage or there isn't enough high quality silage. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so if we look at the timeline that we're, we're, we're now being confronted with, uh, my sense is we're about a month off the start of the 2022 silage season. And once we get into that, uh, it's an ongoing process, depending on the crop, whether it's grass, whole crop, or maize, uh, will be continuing through until beginning of October. I'm hoping that farmers have gotten over the shock that fertilizer is, for nitrogen at least, 900 euros a ton. I mean, that's a reality that we now have to live with. Um, there is talk that quite a number of farmers are saying, we're not going to buy fertilizer, we're not going to make that much silage this year. Personally, I think that's very short-term thinking. Um, the reality is that uh, if we don't grow the grass, if we don't produce the silage, uh, we could be looking at a real fodder crisis, I believe, um, the back end into the winter of 2022 into the early months of 2023. And I truly believe that's the last thing we as a farming industry need. Um, and Richard, I know that I suppose some of the feedback we would have gotten to your um, article in terms of potentially being a fodder crisis um, and that it could be one of farmers own making was that farmers are saying it's not of our own making. You know, we can't control world events. We can't control the, the cost of fertilizer. What can they control? OK, well, is it of farmers own making or not? Uh, I'm old enough to remember years like 1985 when it started raining, I think the second week in May, and it didn't stop raining until St. Patrick's Day of the following year. Um, and that was a weather-related crisis. Farmers had no control over that. They had to respond. And you heard Michael mention, I mean, farmers are used to dealing with uh, crises, challenges, problems. Um, I think 2018, four years ago, we had the drought. You know, we had a polar opposite weather impact, but it was still um, a crisis or a challenge uh, produced uh, for farmers that they had no direct control over. They, farmers do not control the weather. They have to work around it. The point that I would make is if farmers don't buy fertilizer today to produce the silage that they, they, they will need um, later this year, autumn into, into the winter, they're taking a conscious decision now uh, not to produce fodder. Uh, so it is, in truth, of their own making, in my opinion. They're making a conscious decision not to buy fertilizer because that's what this boils down to. The other factor that comes into play here is if we're looking at um, very high feed costs, grain, oil seeds, compound feed costs next autumn into the next winter, if we're looking at the possibility of that being combined with uh, grain feed feeds being being uh, rationed, um, then 
what do we do? Where do we go? I mean, my view uh, very clearly is that fertilizer at 900 euros a ton is still better valued than having to pay goodness knows what for concentrate feeds next year um, and, and, and in terms of keeping a farm business going. Now, people will, people will say, well, we'll sell the stock. If we, don't have the, if we don't have the fodder, we'll sell the stock. But the reality is, if there's not enough fodder in the country and dairy farmers start selling cold cows or young stock that they've kept over maybe a year, a year and a half, then the market falls, the, the market falls uh, it collapses. So to come back to another fundamental point, um, the farming organisations at the moment are trying, pushing government very hard to come up with some form of scheme that will recognise the increased costs that um, all farmers, uh, grassland farmers, tillage farmers, intensive livestock farmers are, 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 are being confronted with at the moment. And if you look specifically at silage, um, my view would be uh, if you don't make the crop in the first place, then there's nothing to fall back on in terms of being eligible for whatever scheme is coming down the track. So it could be short-term gain, short-term pain for, for a longer-term gain in terms of being eligible for whatever schemes, support schemes that could be coming down the track. But I think there's a fundamental message to, to be gotten out there, and that is grass and silage are our most um, cost-competitive feeds from a ruminant perspective. If we don't make them, we're in trouble. I believe. I just add to that as well. Like, you know, I think there are options out there for farmers. Like, you know, so for example, a lot of uh, beef farmers aren't as focused on making good, as good quality silage as they could. But, you know, if they cut silage earlier and ted it out and <clears throat> then bale it, they'll reduce, rather than just baling directly after the mower, they'll reduce their bale volume by about 25%. So there's a saving there in terms of the number of bales that they have to make without compromising on the quality of the feed that they have. It's all about the dry matter uh, uh, value in, in the feed. There are other things as well, you know, like, um, as Richard said, you, you, they need to make the silage. So, but there are other options out there. So, for example, you know, with even with prices at, at 900 euros a tonne for, for nitrogen, um, you know, if you, if you go and make your silage using a forage wagon instead of the, you know, the traditional harvester, you know, you, you, you could potentially save the cost of the fertilizer, even with the high prices at the moment. You know, so there are options out there available to farmers, but I completely agree with Richard that, you know, they need to make the fodder. The fodder, you know, we don't want a fodder crisis in the country. And that's what we're facing because the alternatives are going to your, your straw and meal, that's going to be limited because of the costs. Um, in, in the, those feeds. And go ahead, sorry, oh, no, Richard. Just to, to, to make the point again, uh, if farmers are looking at the option, or thinking, oh, well, sure, the fellow down the road will have a few bales, he'll have the, you know, I, I can use the, um, the silage that, that he may not surplus. There may not be the surplus there. I think there's also another fundamental point to make, and that is every farmer in the country, we're coming to the end of the 2021, 2022 feeding season. Cattle are out of grass now. Actually, the first thing you should be doing is actually looking at what silage you do have right now and factoring all of that in, in terms of your planning for the future. And I think um, if you're uh, working with a contractor uh, to make your silage in, in, in any year, now is the time to be uh, chatting to the contractor, 
to work through a system, and, and Michael pointed to this or discussed uh, some, some of the, the, the relevant issues there, in terms of uh, getting value from money for your contractor. I mean, there are options. I mean, if you have a mower, you can pre-cut the grass for the contractor. If you've, if you've got the rake, you can, you can, you can be doing that. Um, another option is uh, saying to the contractor, well, look, listen, we'll put the fuel in. So that, that's a cost that's coming directly out of your farm. You have total control over that. So there are options in terms of making all of this a lot more flexible for you. But I think the bottom line is uh, walking away and saying, oh, the short-term issue is I'm not buying fertilizer to grow the grass in the first place is very short-sighted thinking. In terms of the machinery that you mentioned there and earlier you mentioned the TAM scheme, mm. Michael, how appropriate or efficient of a scheme is that now? We'll say if you know people did want to invest in the different types of machinery that could have long-term savings for them. Yeah, well, you know, like there's significant funding out there or for for them, like you, you're either your forty percent or your your forty percent or your sixty percent grant, depending on if you're a young qualified farmer or or not. You know, and so for example, on a, a fertilizer spreader, I think the maximum grant is up to a value of about eight and a half thousand euros. You know, but that will get you into a top of the range, you know, fertilizer spreader that. Uh, you know, can control the rate uh, accurately and can has got section control, and with you know, and and the same with guidance systems, they're also um, covered under it. And the low emission sl slurry spreader, like your trailing shoe and and uh, your drivel bars, you know, and you know, you also have to look at the costs, like in terms of the increased usage of the nutrients in the slurry, you know, and that it is a commodity you know, a, a, a valuable commodity on your farm and to be getting the maximum use use out of it there, you know. So that's the finance, I suppose, for machinery. But Richard, I know that you are often in conversation with people involved in uh, agribusiness and agribusiness banking, I suppose. And um, people are not apparently using the likes of a loan to, to get the fertilizer that you're advising them to get now and to not hold off on it and maybe in some cases they're not buying it in other cases they might be using overdraft um, have you heard stories like that well i've been speaking to the banks over the past two to three weeks and they're fundamentally shocked that the phones have not been ringing off the hook from farmers asking for finance i think there's an there's a recognition out there that commercial finance at the moment could be a bit stretched but the banks are there i mean they are saying very clearly look guys we commit to the future of farming in Ireland. We have no issue with that, north and south. I mean, we do support farmers. We want to support farmers. The money is there. Um, what I've been told is, do not look at the overdraft uh, as a means of, 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 of purchasing fertilizer now. The banks, will, the, the banks are more, would be more relaxed with, with a separate loan, a fertilizer loan being agreed and then paid back over a certain, num certain number of months. Um, but the, 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 the support is there. Um, in this here and now sense for farmers to get over the hook to allow them to get on with the um the job of of, of making the grass or producing the grass making the silage um i think sorry just uh, I, the word challenge is, is is used a lot i i prefer the word opportunity if you're sitting there and you're thinking okay here's the way it is fertilizers 900 euros a ton it will force you surely to think of okay so how can we tweak the farm management to make better use of the grass uh, to make better use of the inputs that we have on our own farm. Michael touched on slurry. I mean, slurry is no longer regarded, it should not be regarded as a waste. It is, it, it is, it is an immensely valuable uh, crop input um, on, every, on every farm. 
Uh, so there are opportunities there as well. Michael, just returning to you in terms of, I suppose, a lot of challenges or opportunities, as Richard calls them, over, over the last number of months, certainly coming off a global pandemic into um, a, a very distressing war in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine, the energy crisis that we're all um, experiencing. And of course, a lot of what's happening now didn't just happen with Russia invading Ukraine. It was happening before that with the supply chain, um, Brexit, global pandemic and so on, the Suez Canal. It, it just seems to have yeah. been a, a, a basically an entire um, series of things that has happened. But there is some positive news as well in terms of, you said, you know, orders are in for machinery and shows are coming back, which is, it's, it's great to see. And, yeah. and the farm machinery show is coming back. How has yeah. the feedback been from that so far? It's been brilliant, like it, you know, and, and the point you made is people, you know, so looking forward to it, you know, and, and both within the industry and, you know, the guys wanting to go to a show, but also uh, among the public. Um, you know, there's been phenomenal demand. Like, we're, we're delighted, um, you know, because you're always nervous, uh, you know, because it was 2019 since we had a show before, uh, since we had our last show because of the pandemic. We decided to move the date to the summer because just, you know, it was the best chance of, of running a safe and uh, a show that was safe for, for everybody in terms of COVID and all of that. And, you know, but we're, we're delighted to see the, the strength of the support from all the manufacturers, like all the major manufacturers are all uh, attending the show. Your uh, John Deere, you know, your Pottinger, your Lemkin, your um, New Holland Case International Class, um, all the Agco brands, JCB, you know, the list goes on and on and on. You know, it's, it's, it, it's brilliant to see it. And uh, there's great excitement, there's great buzz about it, you know. Um, so it's on, as you said, two days, 13th and 14th of, of July in Punchestown. And, you know, Punchestown is a great place. It's a brilliant venue, like it's purpose built for large scale events, you know, the parking facilities and, and all of that. So, yeah, we're really excited about it. And is there optimism in the industry there or do you feel there's a wariness among particularly the big manufacturers? Yeah, look, you know, there's no, there's no denying the the energy crisis at the moment is, uh, you know, is is concerning, but on the other side of it, you know, you came off like a fantastic year last year, which was the highest number of uh, tractor registrations in in many years, two thousand four hundred new tractors registered. That was the highest figure since two thousand and eight. Um, this year, you know, the figures to the end of March appear to be slightly back on last year, but that's more about the supply coming in because you know it's based on registration so you know you're going to look at a similar number of tractors um sold this year and um, as i said all the order books are full and then you know in terms of the dealerships and all of that like they're having a very strong year this year because you know the contractors the farmers all their their customers are saying right well you know uh, whatever prices are like now you know looking to the future there is only one way that the prices are going to go up so that's driving demand for all the machinery that's there you know and there is huge like other things driving demand like the low emissions slurry spreading and the grants and that so you know there's very strong demand for slurry tankers for example you know and all of that so um you know the the mood is generally very very good out there and very very positive at the moment you know, and like when I came into this role as well, 
like the entire sector, the, it, it's a great sector. You know, if you take like the dealerships and all the, the indigenous Irish manufacturers, you know, like your Abbey's, your McHale's, you know, all uh, Dramone Engineering, Cross Engineering, oh, these are fantastic companies uh, in rural, based in rural Ireland and driving the rural economy. I like to say it's the backbone of the rural economy. But there's, there, there, there's, there is great positivity out there. There is a bit of a concern about the, the fuel price because that fuel, our energy, um, energy prices, that affects everything. You know, it affects, it's putting pressure on wages, it's putting pressure on inputs, it affects everything. But generally, I think there's a very positive, you know, things are going well in the industry at the moment. And Richard, that whole energy crisis and that concern, while people will be very excited, no doubt, to attend the, the Farm Machinery Show this summer, if not to, to buy, to certainly at least look at something new, which they haven't had the opportunity to do for a couple of years. Do you think the government support is enough to try and help people now um, with the rising in inflationary costs, the rising input costs and so on? Are the farming sectors, each individual sector, getting enough out of these packages that seem to be emerging over recent I think it's an evolving situation. I think there's, there's a general commitment both um, at the level of the farm minister and also the government beyond that. I mean, to, 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 to genuinely look at the, the challenges or the, the, the issues that are out there in terms of um, where farming is at the moment. And I think we will see um, an evolving response from, from, from government in that sense. But just to pick up on a point that, that, that Michael did make, um, last year, 2021, was an amazing year for farming. Okay, um, And one of the drivers behind all of that was the weather. If the weather uh, is, in, is in our favour, everybody tends to be in quite good form. Okay, it is the, And it is the factor that we genuinely have no control over. Um, but I do believe that if, you know, if we have, uh, and we've had a great start to the year in terms of the weather, uh, Crops are looking tremendously well. Grassland is looking well. Growing conditions are excellent. Farmers can get out, get on with the field work in, you know, with pleasure. There's no stress. Um, and if that continues for the rest of the year, and hopefully it will, as I say, we have no control over it. But I think if that would be the case, then most people would be happy out. Richard, thank you very much for joining us. And Michael Farrelly from FDMTA, thank you very much for joining us on Farmland today. You're welcome. I'm joined now by Alice Doyle, the Farm Family Chair with the IFA. Alice, thank you very much for joining us on Farmland today. You're I suppose welcome, the first thing that we want to talk about is the pressure that's currently on farm families at the moment. And I suppose uh, you're part of a farm family yourself. You know more than most how it's affecting people, the rising cost of inputs, um, inflation, the pressures that are coming on farm families in terms of, of climate action. But let's start about Im input costs first, which are immediate concern. I suppose the silage season is coming up. Um, what are you hearing back from farm families? Uh, that is a huge stressor at the moment. You know, we talk about anxiety among people and what is anxiety? It's the, it's the unknown, it's the concern about the unknown and lack of control over what's happening. And certainly in the whole area of inputs, that in the last six months in particular, it has created a huge stress on, on farmers. The increase has been phenomenal. Uh, if we look at the different sectors, you know, the, the actual price uh, 
increase in everything. Um, I was just asking my husband, say, for example, last night we were looking at dockets that came in this time last year and looking at, you know, a, a, a ton of, say, 10, 10, 20, which would be a very common uh, input for, for most farmers. And I just have in my hand here the docket that we used last night. And the docket last year said that that ton of 10, 10, 20 would have cost 375 euros. That today, one year exactly later, is costing a thousand euros. That is a 280% increase uh, in one year in the most common uh, of, uh, of inputs. Uh, another example would be, say, urea, protected urea, which last year was costing 395, is costing 1100 euros today. So you can take that and that's the, these are the most common inputs that every farmer is using. And can you just imagine like if everybody had to look at the input that they were putting in, whether it was making a loaf of bread in the morning, if you had a 300% uh, increase in the price of flour or the price of buttermilk in the morning uh, to make the loaf of bread for the kitchen table, the outrage there would be and the uproar there would be. Well, can, this is the situation that farmers are, are facing. That they have, that's just, I'm taking fertilizer. You take fuel, fuel is up uh, uh, over 80%. This time last year, uh, diesel was costing about 66 cents a litre uh, for agricultural purposes. It's well over a euro today. So you're talking about over 80% of an increase. And these are basic essentials. These are needed for the day-to-day -day work of a farmer. If he doesn't have diesel, he can't run the tractor. He can't run the machinery to sow the crops. He can't cut silage in a, in a couple of weeks' time. He can't harvest uh, in, in the uh, autumn time. And we're talking about thousands of litres of diesel being used every week. I spoke to a local contractor yesterday who would normally do our, our silage, for example, and I was just asking him, you know, give me an idea of the input costs that you had this year and the changes or whatever. And he said, like my, my diesel, uh, I'm, I'm talking about, he said, every day I could take in 4,000 litres of diesel into the yard. And if that's up 80%, Look at the price, look, look at what he's being asked to put in. Now that has to, we have to pay for that as the farmer. He can only take a, a certain whack on that. He can he has to pay his way and he's not going to keep going for working for charity, you know. So we have, that's going to be now reflected in what we will pay to have our silage cut uh, come in, in the next two or three, well, it's three weeks time, four weeks time. We'll have to look at that. And that will be reflected in, in our output or our input costs there. And that is huge because that, that's the farm, but that reflects back into the house. And I, 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 I like to see, see that mentioned more, that the family is, suffers as the result of that. Because if the extra money has to go into the yard to pay for the contractor to come in and cut the silage, well, it has to come from somewhere. And finance, as you mentioned earlier in your introduction, is an issue um, for, for farmers at the moment, the availability of it and the working capital. Uh, because there's huge money required to buy this fertilizer, to buy inputs, they have to have they have to get working capital, and it's not as easy to get working capital anymore, because it's so it's so he, the, the the margins are so small, uh, you, the banks are not willing to give it, and, and we can understand to a certain extent why that is, but this is huge pressure, so therefore cutbacks have to be made everywhere. And I suppose Alice, the point that you make there is that these bills are coming in now. Your bill increased to over a thousand euro from three hundred odd this time last year for fertilizer. Mm -hmm. The extra cash has to be got. Now, commodities aren't the worst they've ever been. They're, they're not too bad at the moment with say, dairy and, and beef prices aren't the worst. But 
I suppose what people don't understand is there's still a big difference between good commodity prices and the, the inflationary pressures that are on farmers at the moment. The, the commodity prices are not meeting the increase, I suppose, in the input costs. Yes. Well, you see, if, you, if you look back at the, the commodity prices, the commodity prices pre, pre this huge increase, say, in input costs, were, were barely meeting the, the, the cost of the input. So you were talking about the price of beef, uh, you know, around around maybe four euro, a little under four euro a kilo. And at that, farmers were finding it very hard to make ends meet with that. And that was the input costs as what they were a year ago. Now, can you imagine input costs have increased 300 percent, but the price of beef hasn't increased 300 percent. So it's not matching it anywhere uh, near where it should be matching. Same with all the other commodities. We can take all of them. The, the input costs are not matching, or the, sorry, I should say the price at the end is not matching the input costs. Um, so there's, there's a huge difference there. And you can only you know, compensate for a certain amount of time uh, and draw on reserves. But the reserves run out and the reserves haven't been there for a good few years in, in, in farming. So you know, you're, you're down to the negative regions now where people uh, just cannot meet, cannot meet those costs. They haven't got the reserves. There's a financial strain there and a very serious financial strain where farm families have to come up with the the money to pay bills at the moment but i suppose another offshoot of that is the mental strain that that puts on farm families as well to have that financial pressure financial pressure for any anyone in this world is, is a very serious pressure on, on people's well-being how are farm families coping yeah well farm families just like every other family you know, whether you're farming or not, these pressures are now coming on people. The increase in the electricity bill, the gas bill, the oil bill for the house alone. Forget the farm, the house alone are all increasing. And the cost of living, you go into the supermarket, you can take, I, I digress a little bit here, but just to give you a lead into where, where, how it causes the impact. I can go into a supermarket as a farmer's wife now and I go in and I look at the cost of my supermarket, my, my shopping list at the end of the week. And I see a huge increase already. Yet that's not reflected in the price that the farmer is getting at the other end, you know, for, for his product. But the point I'm making there is that I now have to meet an extra grocery bill my husband is meeting an extra bill out in the yard for his input costs. He has no guarantee whatsoever that the, in, the, the output at the end of the year, whether it's the harvest, that he'll get a good price for the harvest, that the cattle price will hold up for uh, at the back end of the year because we're produced cattle, uh, we've finished cattle. So we, we don't know that that price is going to hold up. We don't know that his harvest will come in the price will come in well. Will he even have a harvest? The weather could change. We all know the harvest depends on, on weather. So we have all these pressures coming and you can just imagine what that does to a household because you're constantly on edge, you're constantly worrying, you're trying to make, me, make ends meet, you're trying to predict what might happen, so you're predicting the unknown, this uncertainty that I mentioned at the beginning, you're dealing with an uncertainty, so you're trying to say, okay, in the event of this happening, can I meet this? In the event of that happening, what will I do? In the event of there being a reasonable harvest, reasonable price for cattle yeah i can just about make ends meet here if it doesn't go where do i go what, what do i do then um from a from inside the house i can say the same thing and for, and where there's families with young children children in college trying to pay fees trying to pay education fees 
and they're all increasing too in the sense of you say for example somebody who has a, a child or two in, in in school or maybe a three in secondary school or primary school secondary school being bused to school bus prices are going to go up like but the, the bus people have told us that the fees for our children going to school on the buses are going to go up because the, the cost of fuel has gone up. Nobody thinks about that from a rural point of view. You know, if you live in a town, you can walk to school, you can hop on a bus that doesn't cost you as much. In a rural environment, we pay huge fees to get our children transported to school in the local secondary school or local primary school. We have to meet that cost. So the cost of the fuel is going up for the bus driver. He's going to put it on to the charge or the Department of Education are going to charge more because they're going to pay more to the bus driver, we're going to pay more then to get the bus ticket. So that's another uh, another thing. People don't think about those kind of things. They think, yeah, the food on the table, the farmer. But they don't think of, we have to still pay electricity bills. We still have to pay oil bills to heat the house. And most farmers' houses are out in the rural areas. They're older houses. They're not as easily, um, you know, they're not as modern as some of the townhouses that are built now that are airtight and you don't have to worry about as much fuel we still have the older type houses to retrofit is going to cost us an absolute fortune if we need to do it because they're older and nobody thinks of all those these are the stresses that are on farmers as well as everybody else as well as the stress that's out in the yard and i often think of any other business or industry that would have those have input costs increase as much as what they do for farmers and the end inc the end price coming into them either hasn't gone up or uh, or has gone down in some cases and is so dependent on so many other circumstances like weather uh, conditions or whatever how they would cope I, I was a teacher I was gonna say in my past life but it was, I, I, I'm retired now but I, I, I worked as a I was off farm and I worked on farm and I saw the value of my income to to the farm you know it allowed the farm to run because I could run the house on it but I also think if, if in my profession, if we were told in the morning, you know, that uh, we had to, that our salaries were going to go down hugely, uh, and we were going to get less at the end of the day for our salary, we would have to work longer hours, and we were going to get less at the end of the day, there'd be uproar, as there would be in any profession or any other industry, except farming. Farming keep taking it on the chin and keep going, say, because your food has to be produced, people have to be fed, we'll do it. And we hope for the best. We live in hope. And Alice, you mentioned there that you did have an off-farm job in teaching. Um, labour shortages are, are a problem across every sector at the moment. In terms of not being able to afford labour on farm now, you know, if particularly in busy periods, be it the, the calving period or um, the, the silage period where maybe farmers would get a little extra help on farm, they can't afford to do that now. So they're trying to do it themselves. They, as you said, they're working longer hours. There's more pressure on them. But then there are cases now where even farmers have to go off farm and try and get some other form of income. So what is that doing to, you know, a sort of work-life balance there? Yeah, and that comes back to a question you asked me a minute ago, which was about the stress on people and the, the mental stress stress and the physical stress and there's both there's physical and mental the physical stress is that people the farm farmers that that are even working full-time on farm because they've less labor they're putting in more hours more hours to get the same end that they would have got with less hours in the past so they're putting in more hours the big worry about somebody putting in more and more and more and more hours is that first you have the physical stress there because the body can only take so much that gives rise to 
a lot more near misses on farms. We don't often hear of the near misses. We hear of the serious accident where somebody, unfortunately, with a fatality, somebody was killed or somebody had a very serious accident and lost a limb or whatever. But let's take the situation where we've an awful lot of near misses that are never recorded. And most of those near misses come from the fact that a farmer is wrecked. They have put in huge hours because they have nobody else to relieve them to do the work. So that's the physical strain. Then there is the mental strain on top of that, because if you're worn out physically, you won't make the decisions that you should be making with the same clarity that you would if you had your rest. So I think there's, there's a, that double strain. And there is a shortage of labour for, for a number of reasons. I think the first reason is that an awful lot of young people do not want to come back into farming. They don't see an income in it for them. And the second side of it is farming cannot afford to pay them the salary or the wages that industry can pay them. And this is, going forward for farming is going to be a huge problem because we will have an awful lot of people who want to farm but can't because it isn't economically viable for them to do it. And, you know, I can take our own family and look at them and say, you know, they're all working in good jobs off the farm. Who wants to come back and, and work longer hours, not have your weekends guaranteed, not have your statutory holidays, and say, well, will I get as much from it as I'm getting from the salary I'm earning in the job I'm working in? And I think that is becoming a huge question now within farming. Where is the future of it going to be? Food is going to have to be produced, but it's going to have to be produced at a price that allows the farmer to have a life, because if he doesn't, they're not going to come back to do it. And then the question is, where is that food going to be produced? And is it going to be produced somewhere where it won't be as um, environmentally friendly as we have, uh, where we have to look at, you know, we're, we're, we know that we contribute to emissions. We all know that. Everybody does. Every single person in this country contributes to the emissions, to emissions. To, but farmers have been vilified, whereas for the, as being the ones who you think we had destroyed the planet. We've been the ones who have been feeding the planet. And in Ireland, we feed it more environmentally friendly than anywhere. And I think that we need to give farmers a little bit of positivity and say, instead of feeding them all the negativity and vilifying them and saying, OK, we will do our best to try and comply and improve you know, our contribution or reduce our contribu contribution, I should say, to emissions. But in the process, at least give us some credit for the fact that we are trying to do it in the most environmentally friendly place probably on, on this planet uh, and not be told that we're, we're the ones, you know, you think in Ireland we were the only ones in the world that were destroying the planet, whereas we're probably one of the better countries in the world when it comes to providing food environment, in an, better environmental conditions. So I think from a mental point of view, some of that stress could be taken away if, we, if that kind of negativity wasn't being fed to farmers all the time because they're saying we're doing our best to produce food and we're trying to do it in the best conditions possible and we're doing it under all the scientific guidance we've been given for the last 40 years. Everything we've done for the last 40 years has been done under guidance, scientific guidance from advisory, from our advisory bodies which we were told was the right thing to do, produce and this is how you produce more and this is how you do it best. Now because of your of European policy uh, on the environment, we're being told, no, cut back, cut back. Everything you've been doing for the last 40 years has been so wrong and you've destroyed the planet. Can you imagine what that does to a person's head? Yeah. Uh, and I think this is causing huge stress as well as all the physical things of the, you know, the common things like the finance, the physical, all of that. But this mental barrage 
constant barrage of your vilifier is, uh, is not good either. I recently spoke with the Farm Safety Minister Martin Hayden on this very topic where he was really talking about the struggles that farmers are going through, particularly in more rural or more isolated areas. And he was extremely concerned that many farmers are struggling and not letting it be known. And I suppose from a, a farm family perspective, that impacts on, on the entire family. You know, if, if a farmer is struggling or he feels under pressure or he's down or he's getting um, depressed or he's anxious, you know, many of us, all of us suffer from anxiety at some point over worries. Um, I suppose that can translate then to, to the children. It can translate, you know, the, to the farm wife or the farm husband. In the farm family committee, are, are, are you seeing that? How are people holding up in terms of their mental health? Martin Hayden is absolutely right and I would have spoken to him on this on a number of occasions and from, from the farm family point of view we are seeing it and we are seeing it increasingly because first and foremost you know the, there has been the old image of the farm you know of a man particularly and then most farmers were male now that's changing but whether male or female there's this you know if you're a farmer you're strong you're tough you don't give in to the fact that you could be suffering you know that you might be feeling anxiety you might be feeling stress you go down and you work twice as hard to work it off. That's changing, and what we're finding is now that we're, get, we're getting more and more reports from people looking for help in that they're noticing mood changes, they're noticing mood swings, um, people down, feeling down, feeling lack of hope, looking to the future and seeing no future, worrying about the future of the family farm, worrying about the future of family income, present, you know, short term, medium term, long term income, where is that going to come from? That transfers then inside into the house because whether it's the male or female is farming outside, the, in many cases there are partners and the partner feeds the stress of the other partner. Naturally you're going to feel it and you're trying to all the time deal with that and figure out what can I do, what can I do. And then there's the whole uh, thing of the old Irish thing, I suppose it's not just Irish but particularly in Ireland we have this thing about you know mental health, the taboo of mental health. You don't admit that you have an issue, that you're worried. You don't admit that you have anxiety, that you're stressed out. So you're slower to go look for it. If you have pain in your hip, farmers are a bit slow about going looking at the hip too, but they, they work away till it gives in on them. But they will go to the GP eventually and they'll say, you know, I need to get something done about this other pain in my hip, what am I going to do about it? They're very slow to go to a GP and say, I'm feeling down. What can I do about it? And that's the first step they have to do. They have to go to the GP who will then direct them in where to go. But they're slow about that. And from a farm family point of view, we are now working very hard on trying to produce help for, uh, for farm families and give them signposting. We can't intervene because we're not clinicians. We can signpost and now we feel we really need to be out there now. As Minister Hayden would say himself, that's what he's trying to promote. How do we signpost these people as to what to do and how to do to do what they have to do. And we're working very hard on that, you know, where we are trying to point out that there are numerous agencies who are very open to dealing with that. Your GP is your first port of call if, if it's if pretty serious and if you feel confident enough to do that. Some people don't feel they need to quite, quite bad enough to need to go to the GP, but the Samaritans are there and we would say, please pick up the phone because it doesn't have to be, uh, it, the Samaritans will talk to you about anything. They will literally talk to you about anything. So if you have a worry about anything, before it festers, ring them and they'll signpost you as to what to do and they'll chat to you and tell you where to go. Be, uh, because you may be a bit nervous about going to the GP. 
you have the likes of Theatre House, that's more serious, you really get to the suicidal area, but you do, they're there to be looked at. You have MABs who are there if you have financial issues to give them a call. Call ourselves in, 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 in IFA, in the farm family section, and we will do our best to signpost you. But the most important thing we will be saying to everybody is, please, please talk about it. Now, and we're not expecting to go out and put it on, you know, on, on a, a, a bullhorn outside the door, but talk to somebody. Women are a bit better at that. We tend to, to talk about our issues or whatever. Men are not good at it. And that's where we think the farm family comes in, that it could be a son, a daughter, it could be a wife, a partner, who, you might, who might notice the change. And to please take, you know, I won't say confront it, because that sounds con confrontational, but challenge it, acknowledge it, and try and see, can you get the person to talk? And if you can, you have some chance of getting some help uh, for them. But we would say reach out, reach out and reach out early. Don't hope it'll go away and be aware that there is plenty of help out there for you. And speaking of help, finally, um, Alice, in terms of the pressure, financial and I suppose uh, which leads to mental pressure, but predominantly fi financial at the moment on many family farms. What supports are needed there? What can the government do? What would you say from, from a farm family perspective is the next thing that needs to happen? The, the, the present financial situation I think there is, 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 is arising from the fact of this short-term working capital, that it's, it's not there, and the, how hard it is to get it. Like we can talk, we've been talking to farmers who are saying, you know, very hard to get a loan from the banks because the, the, they're, they're, they, they can't prove that they're going to have this income uh, in say the harvest or later on in the year. Now I can understand the banks are not going to throw money out at people, but I, th I do think more consideration is going to have to be given to farmers when they come in, knowing the circumstances and knowing where we're at. And the lack of a face now, you're, you're dealing with a computer, you're, you ring, you're talking to a machine half the time. There's no understanding of the personal circumstances of where the farmer is. Now, I'm not expecting to throw it out there, you know, willy-nilly and say everyone can have whatever, but I do think there has to be a certain amount of uh, understanding and humanity put into this again, where there's a bit of human interaction where people will understand and will look at everything you put in front. It's not just a computer ticking the boxes because the computer doesn't tick, doesn't have all the boxes. And sometimes by meeting in, in, in the past where a, where a bank manager or assistant manager or whoever senior officer in the bank would meet a farmer. They would look at the circumstance and they would see all the circumstances uh, and they would see all the things that were contributing to it and would see, yeah, yeah, that won't come up on paper and that won't tick a box on a computer program. But that's real income there or there's a possibility of an income there or this is how we can change it to meet your, your repayment conditions. That doesn't all have to be met according to the computer box which says it has to be met on the 31st of December 2022. OK, we can stretch it a little bit because you're going to have something more in January, February, March time. And the human side considers. And then there's there's a huge confusion at the moment, too, because there's a couple of the banks have gone out. Of, you know, we've Ulster Bank going, KBC are gone. And we've a lot of farmers who are transferring to other banks and they're finding it very difficult to get appointments with their new banks to make arrangements for transfer. Well, not just for transfer, but for credit facility because they're new. Uh, you know, I, I give an example. I heard yesterday of a, of a particular individual who applied, for, was only looking for a small loan, has transferred or is in the process of transferring from Ulster to, we won't say what other bank, to another bank and um, rang their new bank, which they have made, they've already started the transfer, rang the new bank and asked to meet them. They want to meet them to look at their credit facilities and they weren't looking for a lot either. 
and it's working capital to get them over the hump with the with fertilizer now for for silage and for whatever and uh, they were told uh, we'll meet you the 16th of june 16th of june is a month after the beginning of the silage season in our neck yeah. of the woods anyway where where is the reality there there there's nothing kicking in from a national point of view i i really do think it and and from it's not just national it's a european policy in the long term we're going to have to look at policy and we're going to have to look at how policy is affecting farmers some reality is going to have to come into this we're being told on one side cut back on production because for environmental reasons and we come on the other hand and increase production because now there's a world there's a going to be there's a worry of a food shortage now where is the where's the logic in that any normal human being who's working with their full faculties will get confused when it comes to that and that'll give rise to anxiety and frustration so a little bit of reality and a little thinking has to come into this and also i think from a national perspective from a national government perspective i think we're going to have to look at you know rural ireland doesn't stop outside balls bridge ireland only starts outside balls bridge you know there's a huge population out there who don't have transport at their uh, at the uh, public transport at their fingertips they need diesel they need four-wheel drives to pull a trailer to bring cattle to a factory or from the mart they they can't say uh, you know i'd buy an electric jeep electric jeep won't pull a, a, a trailer that kind of reality is not there we don't have those things at our uh, at our fingertips i was just listening last night to um um, the Green Minister, um, Ryan. no, yeah, Ryan, and you know, we, public transport is available. We must use more public transport and cut back on 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 private transport. And I'm thinking, the nearest public transport to me is a bus that goes by twice a day to Dublin, and it's about eight kilometres from me. So am I to get on my bicycle or am I to walk to the bus? And I can only go twice a day if I want to go anywhere, and that's only to the one to in one direction. What if I need anything? Where? What do I do? Do I bring home a ton of fertilizer on the back of a bicycle? And I'm being facetious now, but that's the point: that the reality is gone out of it. That we have costs in rural Ireland that are different to to urban Ireland. And I don't want to make it just make you know make it urban versus rural either. But a certain amount of uh, reality has to come into this. And farmers, by their nature, are resilient. They always have been. They've always dealt with weather changes and price changes. And they're, they're by their nature resilient. But this is the first time in my lifetime. And I was there in the 80s, maybe a lot younger than I am now, and maybe not as aware of how bad things were for my parents, but when things were bad. But there was hope then, and there was a chance that you could see some light at the end of the tunnel. The difference now, I find, is that people the farmers today don't can't see that hope they don't see the light at the end of the tunnel the only light they're seeing is the the oncoming train you know and they are worried about that food is going to have to be produced and i think it is very short-sighted both european policy and national policy if we're prepared to sacrifice our farmers who can produce it both both economically but who, well somewhere economically because we have grass at our we have grass ready available if we can afford to put the fertilizer on it we have it there we have very good environmental conditions uh, and we can produce it better and more environmentally friendly than any other country in the world i think alice thank you very much for joining us on farmland you're very welcome stella thank you that's all for this episode of farmland thanks for listening stay tuned to agriland for the latest in agricultural news